This is from the Hekigan Loku, Bluecliff Record, case 73. Matsu's permutations of assertion and denial. The pointer. In explaining the Dharma, there is neither explanation nor teaching. In listening to the Dharma, there is neither hearing nor attainment. Since explana explanation neither explains nor teaches, how can it compare to not explaining? Since listening neither hears nor attains, how can it compare to not listening? Still, no explaining and no listening still amounts to something. As for all of you right here, listening to me explain, how will you avoid this mistake? For those with the eye to pass through the barrier as a test, I'm citing this old case. Look, the main case. The monk asked Grandmaster Ma Matsu, please teacher, going beyond the permutation of assertion and denial, directly point out to me the meaning of the coming from the West. Master Ma said, I'm tired today and can't explain it for you. Go ask Chi Tsang. When the monk asked Chi Tsang, Tsang said, why didn't you ask the teacher? The monk said, the teacher had me come here to ask you. Tsang said, well, I have a headache today. I can't explain it for you. Go ask Elder Brother Hai. When the monk asked Elder Brother Hai, Pai Chang, Hai said, at this point, after all, I do not understand. When the monk related this to Grandmaster Ma, Master Ma said, Tsang's head is white, Hai's head is black. The verse. Tsang's head is white, Hai's head is black. Clear the eye, patriot monks cannot understand. The cult has trampled everyone on earth to death. Linchi isn't yet a thief who can steal in broad daylight. Going beyond the four propositions and cutting off their hundred negations. Among gods and humans, only I know. This koan <coughs> appears a couple times in our tradition in this collection, in, in the collection after that, when student goes through, go through Quran study, they have to deal with it more than once. And it may appear to be simple. We may think that we get the point. But we have to be very careful with that. Because that's how we get trapped often. By thinking we understand. 
we get entangled. I remember working on this koan and it seemed very clear to me that I know what it's about or I knew what it's about. But it wasn't what I thought. And often I think koans that appear simple offer a lot more to us if we take the time to go beyond interpretations. <clears throat> Last week I gave a talk at a local senior center, a large group of retirees. The purpose of the talk, I was invited to give a presentation on Zen Buddhism and answer questions about our tradition. But before getting into a discussion, I began the presentation by going over basic meditation instructions and then we simply sat and meditated for a bit. The expectation was mainly to explain what is Buddhism and how it differs from other spiritual traditions. But instead of simply amusing their minds with information and ideas to be filed away in one of the boxes they came in with, I, I felt that it's more important to give participants some personal experience of the practice, of the meaning of practice. So after a short sit, I spoke a bit about the practice, the first noble truth, life is dukkha, unsatisfactory, suffering, but not just as something to be understood, as something to connect or relating it to the restlessness most of them experience while trying to sit still for a short period of time. You know, we have we all have, right? Whether we are practicing or not, whether we even are interested in Buddhism, we all have first-hand experiences of what Buddhism talks about or what gave birth to Buddhism. In a way, we're always giving birth to what Buddhism is about. Now, this restlessness of the mind on this occasion was also expressed in some of the questions that came up as I was talking about the tradition, all of it being a common representation of human attachments and discontentment, or human attachments as the source of discontentment. Now, to truly ask, to truly question, to truly question is to set foot on an inquiry and exploration into the unknown. Right? We ask from some known, some level of known or some idea of what we know, but 
that's not important at all because what we are asking about is not what we know. We ask about what we don't know, right? So for that to actually manifest, we have to be open to the possibility that what we encounter or may encounter will not at all mesh with what we already know. In fact, it may feel threatening to what we already know. And it may not work with what we're holding on to or identify with. Which means to take a chance and to have the courage to put aside what we know or maybe more importantly, to examine the way we process what we don't know. How do we meet? We ask a question, how do we meet the answer? How do we meet what we experience? Something new, something unfamiliar. To truly ask is to let go. But quite often we ask while grasping tightly and view what we encounter through the eyes of the known and the familiar, and we don't fully give ourselves to the exploration process. And it's understandable, right? This is not a criticism or judgment, of course, because we derive a great sense of security and comfort from the known. Giving ourselves fully to this moment and losing ourselves to what is can feel so threatening that we much rather indulge in thoughts and ideas that distract us from the intense experience of being fully present. And it is, being fully present is an intense experience. It's an incredible experience but it's of high intensity. As, as you've heard many times, I mentioned that we can only find ourselves in memories of the past, mental projections about the future, or mental formations and emotions that arise in the present moment. But to truly be present means to die to the illusion of separateness, drop the mental gap, and be fully merged with what is. And arriving here, you can't find yourself. In other words, here, you don't exist in the way you think of yourself as existing. Here, you don't know who you are. As Dogen said, Buddhas do not know that they are Buddhas. Here, you cannot find yourself. How does that feel like? Just hearing that. Did I not enroll in spiritual practice to figure it out? to find myself, 
to understand what are we looking for is the question so during the talk I gave someone asked if I believe in reincarnation and I asked him how will it help you if I say yes if I say no what are you going to do with it? Right? So, but either way, right? So let's say that, I, that there is reincarnation, right? So, yes, there is reincarnation and this is, I am right now living a life that I was incarnated into and that will be the baseline for future incarnations, right? Or reincarnations. So either way, it comes down to this as the culmination of past lives and the ground for future lives. Either way, it brings me back to this. Either way, it brings me back to the relationship that I have with this, which I cannot escape. But if I want to talk about reincarnation, well, that, will, that may be a great escape that helps me avoid the intensity of experiencing this moment fully. So amusing the mind is a great way to escape. So we can talk about Buddhism escaping what Buddhism talks about. But it feels good. Another question was, what is enlightenment and how it can be attained? And it was interesting because the way that it was brought up was, how do I get it? Right? How do I get it? How do I attain it? In the same way that we can ask, how do I attain this car or this house or whatever? How do I get it? Because I've heard good things about it. And I want a piece of it, a bit of it. So we ask questions, but we don't really ask. Why we ask questions in a way that keep us stuck. In a way that doesn't really push us from the comfort of what is known into the discomfort of the unknown. Initial discomfort. Which there's no way to avoid the initial discomfort. But then after that, if we stay with it, incredible sense of connectedness and at-homeness which we are longing for but are we willing to get through that process is the question <coughs> they also asked about Buddhist philosophy 
And I read them the five remembrances, right? Which simply state that you are of the nature to change. That everyone you care about is of that same nature and you cannot escape losing them, being disconnected from them. Everything you have is of that same nature. And then it ends with, my actions are the ground upon which I stand. My actions are my only true belongings. And I ask them, do you think this is Buddhist philosophy? There is no Buddhism apart of what is. Or there is no Buddhism, we can say. But there is Buddhism as an idea that we can create and escape into and talk about and play with. Pick it up, put it aside, pick up a different toy. Put that aside. Then I mentioned that quote, I think it's, uh, I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh, who said that when we are born, we, are, we embark on a ship that is destined to sink. Right, that's universal. So I talked about the discontentment as I would rather embark on a different ship. I'd rather go back to the port and see if I can find a different one. Because I don't like this one. I don't like where it's going. You know, we, we, every day, if we look deep, we, we encounter again and again what Buddhism speaks of. And I think it's great that we do because it's our responsibility to turn inwardly and counter that so to understand that this is not a hobby. We're talking about lies. We're talking about most important things in life. We're talking about, we're talking about the way we fight what is. Right? How we create the alienation that we then seek to find a way out of. So do we ask? Do we really ask? Right? To show up at a, at a practice center is to ask the question, the great most important question, what is this? What am I? What are you? Right? For most of us, an inquiry is an attempt to arrive at understanding that will satisfy an intellectual curiosity. But even when it delivers some sense of temporal satisfaction, it only acts as a displacement or distraction from our existential anxiety. And it doesn't address our deep yearning to arrive home at be, and be at ease. 
And that's the original question. Not how do I arrive at a place at home and how do I find some ease? Why am I not at ease is the question. What am I doing that creates the dis-ease? As long as we believe that life needs to be figured out and that it has to make sense, we will keep trying to use our senses, intellect included in that, obviously, to fathom what cannot be fathomed. Or to try to understand what cannot and what does not need to be understood. But how, we, how do we put aside all that and go beyond intellectual reasoning and emotional interpretations? What is there a part of what can be discussed and processed through thought? What is there a part of what I know? So the Quran begins with this question. Monk went to ask Master Ma, Matsu. Please, teacher, going beyond the permutation of assertion and denial, directly point out to me the meaning of coming from the West. And this monk is asking about how to go beyond the four propositions and their hundred negations. The four propositions are is is not, both is and is not, neither is nor is not. And this is not a part of us. It is talking about us. I do exist, I do not exist, I neither exist nor not exist, and I'm both. Which was a common Buddhist uh, philosophy or discussions based on that in India at least. So this is, these are the four propositions and the hundred negations are the million ways we discuss and argue the four propositions. There are specific hundred ways that they came up with that we can discuss this, 108 I think, but, but it's endless. Right? We always find other ways to use the intellect. We flex the intellect, <coughs> thinking it's going to help. It only helps the intellect. At the end of the day, it does not deliver. So the four propositions are negations we can see that as our own argumentative nature. Yes, but, on and on. I examine this, I look at this, then I compare it, then I judge it, then I discuss it. Then I feel good, 
So how do we go beyond the incessant need to agree or disagree, beyond our attachments to thought and opinions, beyond emotional entanglements? How do we go beyond the desire, the strong desire to understand who we are through cognitive reasoning and logical explanations, which we do? Because those are the tools we know how to use. But those are the only tools we know. So this monk is asking his teacher how to go beyond all of it directly to the true meaning of Buddhism. The, the coming from the West refers to Bodhidharma, the non-founder of the Zen tradition. Bodhidharma traveled from India to China during the fifth century, settled in a Shaolin monastery and began teaching a direct method of Buddhism that, as he described, points directly to the mind and does not rely on words, on any scriptural text and intellectual reasoning. And the question, why did Bodhidharma come from the West, became a well-known inquiry in Zen. But same as the question, what is Zen? What's the point of Buddhism? What's your true nature? I remember one morning, my teacher came over, we were supposed to work on something together, and he came over in the morning and knocked on the door. As soon as I opened the door, he asked that question. And right away I said, coffee is ready. I opened the door, that was the first question. And it's a good question. Why? Just that. Why? But it's not a why that can be answered with because. Because if it is that, then there is another side to that, or another million sides to that. The footnote under the monk's question says, where did he get this question from? Where did he get the news? You may adjust position. For a sincere spiritual practitioner, the most crucial question is, what is this? What is this? Pointing to oneself. What is this? But pointing to what we see, hear, taste, touch, smell, and think. And the one who's engaged in seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking. And so to truly ask this question, we need to put aside all our belongings, which includes the tangible ones, the relational, the psychological, the emotional, all our belongings, putting it all aside, not rejecting, not suppressing, just putting it aside for a while. And going directly to the source, 
going naked directly to the source without the shield of our conceptual layers, which we hold so dearly to. So to ask means what has to inevitably has to mean putting aside what I am holding on to, putting aside what I know about me and entering what I don't know. With the feeling of being exposed. Because if I'm not, what am I going to see? What am I going to experience? Right? If I come in with a jacket and I feel warm, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to feel the same warmth of that same jacket. That's what I want. I claim to want to learn something, but then this feels good. It smells good too. I know it. It's mine. So often we ask questions for the purpose of fortifying our conceptual shield. But in the case of spiritual practice, <clears throat> the questions arise from a deep recognition of the unknown as our forgotten home. That's what leads us to practice. We know, yes, I am holding on to something, but I know somehow experientially that I'm not seeing something, that I'm blocked by, by my likes and dislikes. And like in the case of every koan, it is all about you in most intimate and immediate way, right? Everything we talk about, everything we chant, everything we hear about in practice is all about you. So, to go beyond, right, the question of where does this question come from, right, in your case, where does it come from? And how do you listen to the answer? So the point of this koan says, in explaining the Dharma, there is neither explanation nor teaching. In listening to the Dharma, there is neither hearing nor attainment. Since explanation neither explains nor teaches, how can it compare to not explaining? Since listening neither hears nor attains, how can it compare to not listening? Very easy to get entangled in this. So Hakuin, much later after that, commented on this saying, True explanation of the teaching is communication of mind by mind. The critical matter here is to get people to know cool and warmth themselves without dispensing a single drop, driving off the plowman's ox, taking away the hungry man's food. In other words, leaving us naked in the cold. Not because they're cruel, 
But this is kindness. To take away the hungry man's food sounds horrible, right? Why would, aren't we in the business of being compassionate? But that is compassion. To take away what we rely on so we can be taught that we don't need it. But as long as we keep relying on it, we walk around with a cane, my foot doesn't work well, I believe it doesn't work well. But then the cane is gone. Maybe it does work. Maybe I don't need a crutch. Maybe I don't need to know. Or maybe I am what I'm trying to know. So the knowing and the I merge. And the need to know vanishes. Then he says, no exposition and no indication. The Vimalakirti Sutra says, <clears throat> Vimalakirti said, explanation of the teaching has no exposition and no indication, while listening to the teaching has no hearing and no attainment. And then Seng Zhao commented, says on this, he said, no exposition does not mean not speaking. It means the ability to refrain from reifying what is said so that one can speak all day without ever having spoken and to refrain from reifying what is heard so that one can hear all day without ever having heard. So we're not making anything of it. We're not taking anything away. We're not adding, right? Because there's no need to. Then we can hear. And Tenke commented on that saying, when you are not trapped in assertion and denial, you're not mixed up in affirmation and negation. What do you hear? Here, when there is no explanation and no hearing, look at this koan with the eye to penetrate barrier. In other words, look at the way you are looking and examine the way you are listening. Turn it around. The busyness of our lives and the constant preoccupation with ourselves draws most of our attention. So when turning to what we hear and see, we perceive echoes of what we already know. And it keeps triggering the personal storyline we are so deeply vested in. As Evelyn Underhill puts it, we are locked within our perceiving instrument. There is an instrument, we just don't know how to use it. So this monk came to see his teacher and asked him to cut through all philosophical explanations, personal interpretations, 
and point him directly to the meaning of Buddhism, the source, a true nature. The teacher here is Matsu, the great Basso, one of the greatest Chinese Zen masters of our tradition. He lived during the 8th century in China, left behind 139 Dharma successors, each of them becoming great teachers. Each of them kept on expounding the Dharma. Now hearing this important question, Matsu said, I'm tired today and can't explain it for you. Go ask Chitsang. Why does he respond in such a way? Is he avoiding the question? Is he sending the monk to someone else because he's not feeling well? It may appear this way. Or we may think that he's just being in the moment by saying, I'm not feeling well. Right? So I'm not feeling well. That's the purpose of Buddhism, right? Be in the moment and experience what's going on. So I meant by, I thought I understand, I understood the meaning of this koan. That's why we have to be careful. I think more importantly, after we practice for a while, because we do get a sense of we're getting somewhere. Being in the moment is one of the many things we have to throw out the window. Because it's a trap. And when we hear about this response, our minds may create endless interpretations that quickly become a barrier for us, preventing us from directly experiencing the naked essence of reality what the monk is asking about. And it is a medicine for the sickness of our mind. Hakuin commented on Matsu's response, saying, he's like water spirit raining sweet dew. I wouldn't misconstrue these words to mean he's neither explained nor did he not explain. If you say explained, the error has flown past. If you say he didn't explain, you won't get to see the sky by digging into the earth. So watch out. We have to stay alert and not follow our thoughts and interpretations. It's what we do, right, in Zazen. We practice not going along. We're not practicing being in the moment. That statement has so many problems with it. One of which is what is in, what is out. In the moment creates out of the moment. Then we speak of cutting through duality. I'm just in the moment trying to cut through the reality. You just created one.
So we can't. We can't be in and out. Adjust again. And please, you don't have to wait for me to drink tea so you can adjust. But when you do adjust, do so with attention and awareness. And stay respectful to your practice. So even after practicing for decades, or maybe more importantly, after practicing for a long time, the core of Zen has never been about this so-called being in the moment. And Buddhism is not in the business of trying to satisfy our incessant desire to find answers to all the questions our minds produce. Instead of providing answers to the fearful mind, it will uproot the question at the source. Creating the natural conditions for the mind to be at ease. But as it often happens, we may need to exhaust ourselves seeking answers or looking for the one who will put the mind at ease, which is what the, this monk is doing. Not realizing his teacher's great compassion, he did go on to ask Chi Tsang. Song said, why didn't you go, why did you ask the teacher? Why are you coming to me? He said, well, I did ask, but he said to come to you. He said, okay, I have a headache and I cannot explain. Go ask Hyakujo, Pai Chang. The monk went to Pai Chang. Pai Chang said, at this point, after all, I do not understand. Now what? I do not understand. Is that adding confusion to confusion? Is it illuminating something? Tenke commented on that, saying, in asking for direct indication of the meaning of Zen, apart from all permutations of logic, this monk's insight is not profound. And yet, he came up with a difficult question. I'm tired today. This is a thoroughgoing effort to help the other person. Help us. Here, there is no principle of Buddhist doctrine or mystic marvel. Let those with ears hear. Why don't you ask the teacher? First, he sneaked a poke at him to see how he would respond. I have a headache today. This too is thoroughgoing effort to help the man. If only the monk would notice. The monk asked Hyakujo, what a fool, he still doesn't get it. When I come to this point, I do not understand, Hyakujo's answer. The three elders spoke as one, kindly helping out. But regrettably, the monk doesn't notice. Do we notice? 
In our search for answers, we follow an assumption that there is something which has to be fixed or that we are insufficient or wrong until we figure ourselves out. But that only leads to the creation of more entanglements that divide the mind further. And we don't realize that the answer is where the question is. Right? How do we ask questions? We ask looking, assuming that, of course, there is a question, right? And the question is, of course, relying on what I think. But without doing anything special, these three great masters mirrored to the seeking monk what he was inquiring about. Like everything is always mirroring that. But because of the way he was seeing and listening, he remained blind and deaf and kept looking elsewhere or kept looking. So in, in direct, he wanted direct pointing or directly experiencing. Right? So we often talk about cutting the two to one. Cutting the two to one. And I just, I came from Montreal. I taught a seminar last weekend there. And at the end of the seminar, before we wrapped it up, I talked about it, a little bit about it, how we, what we do on the mat is exactly that, right? So there is an attacker and there's the one being attacked, right? So those are two. But in the practice, we take those two and we merge them. So when, when there is that merging, that unity in motion, at that, the, we no longer see, or at least that's what we're aiming towards, not seeing two, but, but seeing one. So the attacker merges with the one being attacked, and then both are gone, and there's only movement. When there's only movement... Buddhas do not know that they are Buddhas because they're not there. So to step out of the stream, to ask about the stream is to create the alienation we complain about and experience. And to truly step into the stream is to lose ourselves, to lose ourselves fully. And the question is, of course, lost. <clears throat> Nagarjuna said, wisdom is like a mass of fire. It cannot be entered from any side. That's how we feel often. But then right after that, he said, wisdom is like a clear pool. It can be entered from any side. And he's not playing with words. The Buddha said, everybody, anybody can awaken. Well, obviously, because we're not awakening to what we're not. Right? So it's not something to go get from somewhere. He said, anybody can awaken 
But then he said, most will not. Not because it was a pessimist. Because he knew. He knew what we have to get over or get beyond or let go of. He knew how challenging it is. He knew how tightly grasping we are. At the end of this search, the monk went back to his teacher, told him about these travels. And Matsu looked at him and said, Tsang's head is white, Hai's head is black. Now we can also interpret that in many ways that may sound very Zen-like, right? He's talking about form and formlessness. He's talking about knowing and not knowing. Too much, too far, too disconnected. Tenke said, Tsang's head is white, Hai's head is black. There are many misinterpretations of this current. All literalistic interpretations are wrong. This line is kind effort to help, penetrating bones and marrow, a distinguished flavor or favor impossible to repay even by bone-crushing labors. The statement is simply that Sang's head is white, Hai's head is black, familiar words from familiar speaker, no different from saying drinking tea and eating rice. Now, we don't see it that way. Even so, it is wrong to speak this way if one has merely swallowed it whole without chewing. When you actually do manage to see, then it is so. So to, to actually take the time to chew, right? To experience, not, oh, thank you for the answer. I got it. No, let me taste it. My own taste buds. We all have taste buds, but not the same in terms of experience. We call them taste buds, so well, it's the same. But the experience is different. And we have to honor our own experiential process rather than try to mimic somebody else's experience. Tell me, show me. Show you what? Show me me to me beyond what I think I am. That's what we're saying. Who can do that? Hakuin commented on that saying, this is like a killing by an expert swordsman where the victim is unaware he's been cut through. And this is true, by the way, with <clears throat> true Samurai, they used that the sword was so sharp that they would cut a person in half. They wouldn't realize that they'll start walking and then the one became two. Sounds pretty horrific, but th this is actually an important way to, without going to the brutality of it, it's an important way to understand what's going on here, or at least the experience what's going on here. Because he's been given, we are given, this Dharma, right? 
Now we see it, now we hear it. We just chant it. Of course, now we see it, now we hear it. Always, now we see, now we hear. We just, our attention is elsewhere. So he said, Tsang's head is white, Hai's head is black. There are situations where it is hard to tell which is which. And then he added, eight ounces, after all, is half a pound. So simple, so challenging. We have to wrap it up. So I want to end with a couple of uh, quotes from the teacher in this koan. Master Matsu, he said, you, you who seek Dharma should seek nothing. Apart from mind, there is no other Buddha. Apart from Buddha, there is no other mind. Do not grasp what is good, nor reject what is bad. Do not lean toward either purity or pollution. Arrive at the empty nature of transgression that nothing is attained through continuous thought and that because there is no self-nature the three worlds are only mind and then a monk once asked him what is the essential meaning of buddhism matsu said what is the meaning of this moment what is the meaning of this moment and where do you find yourself? Thank you. <clears throat>